Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Rally podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting in the middle of nowhere. It is June 29th, and a congrats is in order for the, for the Phoenix Suns, ladies and gentlemen, for they have made the NBA Finals for the first time since 1993. And in 1993, the Phoenix Suns has Charles Barkley, Kevin Johnson, and others well, they attempted to win a championship versus the dynasty of the Chicago Bulls. They lost. We'll see if in 2021 their for, their fortune changes and seeing if they win their first title ever. Chris Paul, after 16 years in the in the NBA, has finally made the NBA Finals and has an opportunity, ladies and gentlemen, to win a championship. And retire. Why keep on going? Leave on the high road. Well, let me say this. This this path to the Phoenix, to the NBA Finals for the Phoenix Suns has been the easiest path to the NBA Finals ever. I have never seen one team have such an easy path. And what do I mean by that? In their first series, which was versus the Lakers, the Lakers are an elite team. The Lakers won the NBA championship last year during the pandemic. But this year, the Lakers went into went into the playoffs and into the last month or two into the, of the season hurt, not playing themselves. LeBron missed multiple games. Anthony Davis missed games on top of playing games while being injured. And in this series, by game five, Anthony Davis's injury crept up on him yet again, ladies and gentlemen. It crept on him. He Game five, he got hurt yet again. And he played only 19 minutes of the 48 minutes played in game five, which gained give the Suns advantage of winning the game. The Suns were one of the, the top two teams in the NBA in terms of record alone. So you would think a team that played top, t- uh, had one of the best records, could can execute and win versus a team that is missing players that either hurt, not playing like, like, like themselves, and et cetera and so forth. So in game five, what did they do? He, Anthony Davis got hurt. They won. Game six, Anthony Davis made an attempt to come back, but he played so horrible that he only ended up playing five minutes. Out of 96 minutes that were played in game five, between uh, five and six combined, he only played 24. Isn't that crazy? So look at that series alone. So did the Suns beat a Lakers team that was playing at the top of the game? The answer is no. A healthy Davis and even a healthy James who wasn't 100% would have changed this series 110%, ladies and gentlemen. 110%. But the Suns did not play a team that was playing the, the A game. They were a team making an effort to, to display the game and not just not throwing out the white flag and just resting their body. And I'll give Anthony Davis credit for that. And I'll give LeBron James credit for that when maybe they should have missed the games in order to heal up properly or what have you. But they didn't. They made an attempt to, to play and they try to man up. And the reality was that they couldn't do it. So in the first series, in the first round, the Suns were able to execute and won. Okay. 
That game, that series took six games. Let's go to the next series. The next series they had in the NBA playoffs in the Western Conference, they faced the Denver Nuggets. Now, the Denver Nuggets lost Jamal Murray during the season, and I thought while I saw Jamal Murray go down, well, now Phoenix, now the Denver Nuggets is going to lose. They're going to lose because they don't have this superstar. Jamal Murray was great in the playoffs last year, ladies and gentlemen. So I just thought, man, he's going to go down. This team is probably going to lose games and maybe not even do well in the playoffs. Nikolo, I'm trying to say his name, Jorak, the MVP of the of the National Base Basketball Association, ladies and gentlemen, was able to continue helping the Denver Nuggets win. But you kind of kind of have to think about it. He was doing so well for so long, but you knew that in some way they were going to hit a wall without having Jamal Murray. Because even though they got Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon has never been truly an elite player. He's never really been an elite player. He's been an elite dunker. That's the only thing close to that Aaron Gordon has ever been in the NBA was an elite dunker. But he's not a great uh, rebounder. He's never really averaged over 20 point, 22 points a game or more. He's just been an elite dunker. But long story short, they went into this series yet again with an elite player. Not just a role player who who shot, who's the best three-pointer of, of the team that just missed the series. They played a, the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul and Booker played a game, played a series, swept the Nuggets. But again, ladies and gentlemen, they beat a team that didn't have an elite player. So did you beat did the Phoenix Suns beat the Denver Nuggets at their best? Again, ladies and gentlemen, no. Now we go to the Western Conference Finals, ladies and gentlemen. The Western Conference Finals. Whoever wins this series, ladies and gentlemen, goes to the NBA Championship. And ladies and gentlemen, yet again, yes, Chris Paul missed a couple games. Yes. But Kawhi Leonard missed the whole series. The whole series. And let's let, you know, poor George, compared to last season, you know, he, he played great more games in these playoffs in 2021 versus last year. But he also had a series of games where it was like, oh my God, where where's this elite status uh, shooting guard slash small forward? Where is he? Is he going to show up? And ladies and gentlemen, yet again, the Phoenix Suns played a game with a team not on top, not having Kawhi Leonard playing at all. They did not beat the Clippers at their best. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, they they defeated a team missing an elite player. So they did not play a team at their best. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the Phoenix Suns are the Western Conference champions. The easiest path in the world. I never heard of Michael Jordan playing in his days where Magic Johnson didn't didn't wasn't in the NBA championship. So it 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 gave the, the Bulls advantage. I didn't hear Isaiah Thomas and and other guys from Detroit not playing. I didn't hear Danny Ainge and Larry Bird not playing for the Celtics or Reggie Miller and Mark Jackson not playing for the uh, Pacers or Patrick Ewing and John Starks not playing for the New York Knicks. And it just made things easier. Like those guys always played every series. So when the, when Michael Jordan faced uh faced them and won. 
you give him props because he went through hard teams that were healthy, that were playing. And listen, not necessarily healthy. Because after 82 games, after long seasons of playing games and logging a lot of minutes, everybody's kind of banged up. Everybody's just kind of like, not 100%, but they're still able to continue playing on. But ladies and gentlemen, Chris Paul, finally in the NBA championship, ladies and gentlemen. But his Clippers could have done this too. His Rockets, what makes the Phoenix Suns better than those teams, the Rockets or the Clippers? Let's just be realistic. Take a step back. What makes them better? Are they equal in talent? I don't know. Everybody is could be could be their own judge. If the Clippers were better than the were ever better than the Phoenix Suns or the, the Houston Rockets when Chris Paul played with them, was ever better than these Phoenix Suns. But long story short, easiest path. And this, I mean, people are saying have said, and I've mentioned this in the past past podcast that the reason why people are getting so injured is the quick turnaround. And what I mean by the quick turnaround is because because of the pandemic, teams were playing, still playing games in late June, early July to finish the playoffs, to finish the season down in Florida and Disneyland in, 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 in the close quarters of the pandemic. Easy path. Easy path for the Suns. But you know what? It's okay if he executed because it would have been even more disappointing for Chris Paul, for Monty Williams, that they were such a dominant team throughout the whole season. And for whatever reason, they couldn't beat a team missing a player. That would have also been a, a, big, a big story right now, too. Let's just be realistic. Off to the Eastern Conference Finals, where it is, it is, which is a little bit more interesting, not a whole, a whole lot more. Both have fought more to get where they are, they are compared to the Suns. Now, injuries is happening to both teams. Trey Young is, ha, is hurt and missing has missed games. Greek Freak has missed games and has been injured. It looks like Trey Young may play sooner than the Greek Freak. However, if the Hawks win this series because the Greek Freak misses the rest of the series, then it changes everything slightly in the sense that, for me, it does. Because they won against a team without one of its elite players. They did not play the rest of the series with Greek Freak missing games, this team at its best. Anyway, both teams need to win two more games. The uh, series is 2-2. Two and two. We'll see what they could do. And look at this, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get back to the Phoenix Suns. Because they just won the... Western Conference Finals, ladies and gentlemen. Now they're possibly going to get a week, maybe more, off to study film on start studying film on the Bucks, start studying film on the Atlanta Hawks, and rest either injured knee, bum knee, bum whatever. Listen, Chris Paul got hurt in two series. Now he gets to heal up for a full week and go into the NBA Finals not really a hundred percent banged up, but more mobile than than what he was. And the end of the L.A. Clippers series. I just don't understand this, this NBA playoffs. I've never seen an NBA playoffs where elite players were not playing due to injury. Or got hurt in the middle of the series due to injury. Long story short, if Nate McMullen can pull this off and lead the Hawks into the NBA championship, this is when... I'm going to say 
Maybe Tom Thibodeau should not have won the coach of the year. Yes, Nick fans, maybe I'm saying that. But what you do in the playoffs shouldn't matter when it comes to coach of the year. You understand what I'm saying? You can't just be a great coach in the regular season. And then when it comes to the playoffs, you don't look like an elite coach. You don't look like a good coach who just had a great season. And Nick McMullen, after being fired by the NBA Pacers, got a chance to be assistant coach in Atlanta Hawks. And Pierce did such a bad job that they hired Nate uh, McMullen to be their head coach for the rest of the season. They traded Rajay Rondo because they even thought at the time that trading Rajay Rondo was a great idea because his team was thought to go nowhere. And for whatever reason, after the Rondo trade and after trading um, and after firing Pierce, Atlanta won. So, yes, if there's a do-over, if the playoffs played played into the concept of why a guy should win coach of the year, Nate McMullen should definitely get more votes and even win. That's just me. Off to baseball, ladies and gentlemen. Looks like the Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins, whatever you want to call them, are doing what they do best. Now, what do I mean by that? If anybody has followed followed the Marlins since 97 they have one of those teams that always are able to 97 they won the playoffs they won the World Series and years following that they traded all these guys away to restart reload I think about 6 years later I think it was 2003 that the Marlins faced the Yankees they won again with Josh Beckett and then what did they do after that they traded Josh Beckett and other players all away and then they had Yelich and other guys, Ozona and other, other guys on the team. And yet again, they traded them all away. Last season, with the expansion of the playoffs, they, they outshined many teams and, or, or exceeded expectation. And to me, Donning Manalik should have won Coach of the Year, Manager of the Year in baseball because a team exceeded expectation. But ladies and gentlemen, what did the Marlins do? They traded Corey Dickerson and Adam Zembar to Toronto. One of their starting outfielders and one of their best relievers so far this season. Now I get it. I get it. The 13 and a half games out of the out of the wildcard spot. The eight and a half games out of first place. But ladies and gentlemen, after 79 games, they have about what is that? 83? 83 games left into the season. 83 games where one win streaks. One win streak could definitely bring them closer to the division. They can go one win streak, ladies and gentlemen, and be four and a half games to three and a half games out of first place. I'm not a guy who, who's so easy to, to wave the white flag and to say, you know what, let's just give up. Let's just not try. Because that's what I see that the Marlins are doing. You know, ladies and gentlemen, they just open up a season on I mean, a new stadium within the last five or five years, maybe a little bit more. I'm not sure. But long story short, you know, after you open a big stadium, a new stadium, you will want it to be sold out and and, and have a, a winning seasons where teams want to, where fans want to be there so that you can start getting your money back after spending billions upon billions on construction. But ladies and gentlemen, the Marlins are doing it yet again. After having a 500 record, it looks like they're on the road and on the path of just giving up. 
and waving the white flag. And I am never a person who can ever be okay with waving the white flag. That's not trying. You know, at least, you know, at least wait until the tread deadline in July 31st. Give the team that much, you know. Give a team that much. But Derek Jeter. Wow, and that, that's that's the other shock apart. Like Derek Jeter, who is a World Series championship, who's done so much for baseball in New York and, and is so clutch in October, is okay with this. I don't know if he would ever would have been okay with that back in his days where if this team is not playing so well and they're they're about five games out of the wild card spot or the uh or division um or the division race that they traded Andy Pennant or David Wells or, uh, or Mariano Rivera or other players away in an attempt to reload. Also, ladies and gentlemen, Yankees are a different breed. They always invest on their team. They have never been one of those teams that have completely rebuilt at all in the last 25 years. They've always a team that's tried to find a way to spend money and be relevant. Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about was on July 1st, ladies and gentlemen, on July 1st, a concept, um, on July 1st, Bobby Bunier Day. That's what July 1st is in Major League Baseball. July 1st is called Bobby Bunier Day. For what reason? Well, let me tell you. On his last year with the Mets in the early 2000s, the New York Mets, rather than buy out and pay Pai Bonilla $5.9 million and just give him the money, the rest of the money that he was owed, they chose a different concept. They chose a concept that doesn't pay him until starting year 20, 2001, 2011, excuse me. And in, starting in 2011, for the next 25 seasons, they have to pay Pai Bonilla close to $1.2 million. That at the end of 25 years, he's going to get paid $30 million. He wasn't even owed that in his contract. But yet, for some reason, my New York Mets thought it was a great decision to do that. It's crazy. How, how in the world would it be okay to just to, to sign a guy, and after signing the guy, you don't want him no more. Okay, great, good, wonderful. But in the process of, of having this guy, you decided, well, we're going to sign you. We're going to de defer your contract where you get paid $30 million. I want that. You know, that's the idea. Like, I would want to be, I, I said this before. I want to say this before in, 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 on, on this podcast. But look at some of these guys who've been fired in some of these national networks for some kind of controversy. They've never been fully fired, ladies and gentlemen. They left with millions upon millions of dollars. That's not that's not a fire. What discipline did they really face? The guy left with millions, and then he has the opportunity now to go sign with someone else, with another network, and make even more millions. So his fire means nothing. It didn't bring justice. It didn't teach him a less the, the person a lesson at all. I excel, but. I mean, I regress. Uh, Bobby Bunyende, July 1st. He's going to get paid $1.2 million for 25 years. By 2036, he, his whole, the whole uh, $1.2 million thing will be, uh, will be done. He'll be 72 years old. 
and he'll be a millionaire. I don't even know what Bayouni is doing now, if he's on TV or what money or what ways he's making money. But 1.2 million, Steve Phillips, uh, Nelson Doubleday, Fred Wilpon, you guys are the worst because this was on your shoulders and this is why it happened. And Steve Cohen and the New York Mets have to suffer with this over their back because of what you guys have done. Anyway, that's baseball. Lastly, soccer's having a major series that's different countries facing. I don't really watch soccer, ladies and gentlemen, excuse me, football. But the thing I found interesting the other day that they actually were broadcasting was that Leon Messi, who plays soccer overseas, plays in, in, in I think, in a league where they only play 33 games a season, signed a four-year contract where he got paid over $400 million. Over $400 million on a four-year contract. He possibly even got paid close to $600 million. Over $130 million paid per season for 33 games. Now, being from America and enjoying football and knowing what I know about baseball and football and their contracts, my question to you is, should football and baseball players get paid more money? In NFL, for example, excuse me, the NFL is very taxing. Players do numerous camps. Players end their careers by the early 30s to the mid-30s. Isn't that crazy? That guys can have concussions that where they have had so many, so many severe concussions. Example, Jamal Lewis, who was a running back for the Ravens, he gained over 2,000 yards rushing one time, has dementia before 40 years old because of all the concussions he had. And the contracts in the NFL are not even fully guaranteed. Not even fully guaranteed on top of that because of the salary cap, a lot of the players in the NFL are even asked, can you defer some of your money so that we can make this these things right and make the salary cap fall into our favor because... We signed too many guys, and now we have to ask guys who don't even get fully guaranteed contracts to lower their money or to agree to a buyout or something. Let's, let's start with ba another sport, baseball. In baseball, players start reporting to camp and practicing between late July and February, ladies and gentlemen. Usually February is supposed to be the due date of when pitchers and catchers show up, but a lot of times numerous position players always show up. And then players start continuously practice, have some spring training games between late February and March into the early April, and then play into late October. Do you know how many games that is? It's 162 games in a regular season alone. About close to 20 games or more for the preseason. So right there alone, it's at least 182, maybe more. And then you go into the playoffs where you can add another another 21 games or more or less, whatever it is, which, which averages to what, ladies and gentlemen? To 200 games, two, possibly 200 games. And they get played less than soccer? Crazy. Some baseball players, ladies and gentlemen, even go and play in Latin America, love this sport so much that they go to Latin America and play but continuously play baseball, what they call winter ball. They call it winter ball. If you don't know that, ladies and gentlemen, it's called winter ball. I don't know. 
you know, maybe it's just me. Maybe I just don't understand uh, soccer. Should football players get paid more money? Are they playing the wrong sport? What am I missing about soccer that makes me think that they're not worth the same amount of money like the NFL and baseball? I'm reaching out all to you listeners. Please teach me why soccer players should be getting paid more money. I just don't understand. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just a stupid American that doesn't really understand soccer. But ladies and gentlemen, I don't understand why one player is getting paid $138 million, or over $130 million a year. A year for 33 games. Divide that on your own. And then, you, and then there's endorsements. This guy's possibly getting paid $200 million or more a year between what he gets paid in the regular season and endorsements and whatever other side jobs, side things that he does. I'm not jealous. I'm just saying maybe I'm just not understanding something. Please reach out to me. Go follow my profile on Instagram. DM me. Teach me the beauty and the art of soccer. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is my episode. By next week, we'll probably have an Eastern Conference champion. We'll see if Atlanta can still can still continue this sun, somewhat Cinderella story. We'll see if the Bucks finally make the NBA Finals. And we'll see if the Suns yet again are going to take advantage of a player's being hurt. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is my episode. I am Anthony Roman. This is the Truth and Reality Podcast. I am reporting in the middle of nowhere. Have a good day and even better night. Bye-bye.